And I got a nickname quite early on. Um, I got called B-Shine um, and I asked why. And people just go telling me, because with your smile and the way you listen to people, you make everybody's life nicer. Oh, so nice. That day. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, this is what I do for people who I don't know. beginning of 2022 I made a promise to myself on what I wanted this podcast to be not some promotional reel or shallow show sharing snippets of light entertainment no I wanted to do long form content by that I mean content which is in-depth interesting it takes a while to do takes a while to put together but it's not some uh, light entertainment it, re- it requires a lot of work and it also re- requires the listener you to, to kind of enjoy it and get into it and I really hope you are um, talking to interesting people about hiking was what I wanted to do. I wanted to share their stories. Um, I'm a firm believer that everyone has an interesting story to share. Like everyone. I think everyone has such beautiful story behind them. It's just a matter of being able to pull that out and share it if they're willing to share it. Um, and I am thoroughly enjoying learning the art of interviewing individuals to help them share their stories. So my guests uh, who've come on so far are bearing with me while I'm learning this skill. Um, it's not as easy as it looks to do interviews and I'm learning that the hard way so hopefully you're enjoying the progress and my improvement with interviewing the guests that I've got on the show Uh, I think I'm getting a bit better with each episode but anyway making true on that promise to myself to do better content and to you know create a podcast I'd want to listen to um, I recently had the pleasure of interviewing B. Cortard who is a long distance hiker a ultra walker and a therapist. We had a really nice chat and I enjoyed sharing Bee's rather extraordinary story about her interest in hiking, uh, from where it started to taking her first, uh, to, to walking her first ultra, walking up Kilimanjaro, walking the Camino, uh, walking a bunch more trails uh, in between and uh, a few more ultras here and there, and then eventually, eventually putting all of that experience and that passion for the outdoors and walking into a new career as a therapist, but not an ordinary therapist who sits in a room, no, a therapist who takes her clients outside for a walk in nature. We go through Bee's story from start to where we are now, and I really enjoyed learning so much about her. She's such a wonderful person, and I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. So it's turned out to be a really, really fun recording to do. Uh, Very excited to share this with you today. So without further ado, here is episode 12 of the Distance Hiker podcast. Enjoy. got in touch with me um, and I've, I've seen you posting on the Facebook group quite a few times yep. so uh, your face was definitely familiar um, you got in touch with me uh, after I put a message out saying does anybody want to join me on the podcast uh, and I had uh, had a couple of messages and you were one of them so um, I, to be honest I, I had a look at your uh, Facebook page because uh, I could cl- click through to it from your profile as Facebook yep. allows you to do and I thought perfect this sounds you know <laughs> And then um, I was a little bit worried because when um, there's, a, there's a few people I've had on and there's a lot of stuff about them online. Um, and in some ways, 
it's it's kind of easy because you can go through a profile and you and social media and Instagram and websites and blog posts and you can kind of get a load of questions. Um, and with yourself, because you, you kind of run a business and your social media presence is your business, um, I couldn't get so many questions, but you sent me such a good list of questions yourself. Oh, that you just saved me all the legwork. So I was really, <laughs> I'm really glad I couldn't. It was, and it was such a nice um, story that you put together from start to finish. So um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really keen to find out about your, your journey into the world of hiking and long distance hiking and how that's kind of fed into a career change for you and, yeah. and where you're at now and what you're looking to do in the future. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for joining me to share a bit about yourself. It's uh, really, really interesting to find out more. So um, I'm going to jump straight in if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cool. So um, pre- um, where you're at now. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff that's happened um, to get to the point where you are now, but um, was there a natural starting point where you started to get into hiking? Is it something, um, and the outdoors as well as a whole, is it something you've always been into? Or is it, um, was there a point in your life where you kind of discovered it? Yeah, so um, no, I wasn't into outdoors. I, I've been a city girl for most of my life. So okay. um, I'm French and I lived in France with my parents and studied. Um, so I lived in France for 23 years, something like yeah. this. Um, always lived in cities um, and was very much a city girl. Um, mm. The outdoors had not much appeal to me. I would go on holiday sometimes with my parents. And I remember my dad trying to drag us, me and my brother, to... Um, go and walk in the mountains and it was kind of quite boring to be honest um so we did go a few times but it had no appeal to me um at all and then um I came to England and the first time I came to England I came as an au pair when I had finished my studies to learn English and um I guess that was my first introduction to the outdoors and Mm. nature because I was an au pair in a very very tiny village um in Oxfordshire in Oxfordshire, um, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the village, but it was something like, it, I know it, it was near Benson where there's an RAF. And um, yeah. uh, I think the village was called Roke Marsh and there was probably about 10 houses. And it was, you know, it was an old, um, I think it was an old pub and the family had chickens and horses and, and all sorts of animals and kids, obviously. And suddenly I found myself, you know, having to look after the chickens and I've got no idea. I remember calling my mum one evening because all the chickens had gone and panicking and said, mum, all the chickens have gone. And she said, well, they must have a little hut and you should go and have a look. They, they put themselves to bed. So I went, had a look, couldn't find any chickens, called my mum back and said, no, they're not there. And said, did you look up? Because they're probably a perching on somewhere. And yeah, sure enough, all the chickens were there, but that's just to show how yeah. really yeah. ignorant of anything outdoorsy I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that was my very first introduction in, but it didn't push me to actually explore anymore at that time. Then um, just ago, a few a few years later, so I, I came back to actually live in, this, uh, in England uh, with my family. So at that time, my husband and my first son, then I had a second one in England and, through living in England I began living outside of cities so I've always lived in small towns quite rural so it was in Buckinghamshire and then in Berkshire Um, and from then we moved to the States where I had son number three (laughs) and um, 
still didn't do much uh, in terms of outdoorsy. I was mum at home at that time, which um, was quite difficult for me. Didn't enjoy that very much. So anyway, after that, we went to Australia. And the first year we were in Sydney, so again, really city person. Then we moved to um, the lower North Shore and we found ourselves in a house that was back in a, a national reserve that was there. And at that point in my life, I was like, I've always been, but probably more so really, really fighting with my weight. And I went to what I called fat camp <laughs> for two weeks. Um, which was in the Blue Mountains and very outdoors and I knew yeah. we would have to walk so I um, I went to buy myself a proper uh, um, waterproof um, jacket so that's to say so by that time I'm probably in my 30s and I have okay. never actually bought a waterproof jacket that's okay. to tell you you know that's yeah I, so that was your and, first um, true, true experience of actually doing sort of hiking and you know yes so and so we began walking and I thought well that's probably a good way for me to actually lose weight and when I bought that jacket I was in an outdoor shop and there was this leaflet for this group of walking women called wild women on top um loved the name and um I decided that to get in touch with them when I finished my fat camp and um, and began walking. That's how, that's really how I began walking. Um, okay. And absolutely loved it. Absolutely mm. fell in love with it really, really quickly. Um, so do you think had you, um, if you'd not had that experience of au pairing um, in a rural place, would that have, did, did that create a spark for you to start appreciating and enjoying the outdoors? I actually don't think so. Um, no. Not that it put me off either, mm. but it was my first, it was kind of, oh, there's a world out there. Yeah. But I think yeah. I think I would have left it there if it hadn't been for um, actually me trying to actively lose weight through something that I would like as opposed to just going to the gym, which I hated and doing everything I had done before. Um, and discovering I have to say I mean Australia and Sydney is one of the best places in the world or certainly where I lived to begin hiking um, yeah it, it's, I, I it's have, got I have family over there who, uh, yeah. who live in the city and in the Blue Mountains so I haven't been over but um, I, I see photos on my my cousin's Instagram page and uh, it oh, looks, it's paradise it pretty good yeah yeah it's pretty good yeah. yeah, and it's and it's open as well. You know, there's no, uh, you know, the land's open really for for you to walk around. In, yeah, in different and way, what is quite incredible with Sydney is that even though in this very close to the city, you've already called the bush <clears throat> what they call the bush, which is basically um, already outdoorsy in nature area, literally just around Sydney. So you can actually walk almost not through Sydney, but very close and being completely in nature. Or as I said, at the back of uh, of my house there, there was a, natural, a national park um, and I used to go there and do my hill walking every morning. <laughs> Great that, sound, that sounds that's really it. good so did you, so you joined the Wild Women on Top group uh, what was the kind of yeah. setup of that then was that a, a woman-only walking group essentially? Yeah so it was um, it was a woman-only group and the idea was um, it was run by one woman in particular and then she had two others who were trainers um, and the idea was you can take any woman and prepare her to be in shape, both physically and mentally, to go on top of mountains and go into expeditions. Um, so it was a, a proper training program. Oh, I see. So yeah. less of a casual walking group and more of a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, okay. it was quite 
not grueling, but yeah. um, you know, the, the training sessions, we had training sessions once a week. One week it was um, distanced mm. and one week it was um, going up and down. So things like, um, I remember going into old Sydney for one of the training session and every time we would encounter steps, which there are a lot of, of at least 20 steps, we would stop and then go up and down and go up and down without your pack and go up and down with your pack and going, you know, running and then not running and then, um, you know, all sorts of different things. And I remember that the following day of that first time, my calves were just so sore that just feeling the hem of my skirt against my calves was torture. <laughs> um, but it was also uh, very nurturing and um, everybody was just there to encourage everybody else. And then on, on the on the distance sections, we would just walk as far as we could within the time allocated. It was all at night, which had its old charms. Mm. Um, you know, in any weather. And probably I had been doing that for about a month or two. Um, and we had an evening of presentation of this year, they were organizing two trips, um, which you can sign up with if you want to. One okay. was uh, Machu Picchu and the other oh, one was Kilimanjaro. Oh, wow. Did you do them? Or one of yes. Them? Yeah. So, no, just the one, and me being really just um, quite typical of me, I said, yeah, great, I'm going to go to Kilimanjaro. So I signed up, oh, and then I realised, oh, my God, I've got nine months to get ready. I can't <laughs> walk more than, you know, an hour or two. Yep. I carry a, a four-kilo backpack, and that's hard, and I've got nine months to be able to go a mountain, a really mm. high mountain. <laughs> um, but that motivated me in the group really motivated me as well to do that okay so uh so you had this this group behind you and you had this trip to Kilimanjaro so what's the bit that happened in between did you kind of buckle down and just start training for that yeah so yeah. we had uh, as I said we had training session once a week I think mm. uh, maybe twice but I think mostly once a week um and then I also found I began doing some um walks around um Sydney and then I met uh, a, a walking buddy, a guy, I remember, who was in the National Park more or less at the same time I was. He had yeah. a massive, massive backpack. <laughs> and so I stopped and I said, you know, what have you got in your backpack? And he told me, I've got 20 kilos. And I was saying, oh, my God. He said, yeah. yeah, so every day he packed 20 litres of water in his pack and just went for a hike for his oh, okay. yeah. physical fitness. Yeah, right. And but he was walking on his own, so was I. And we said, well, why don't we meet regularly? So in addition to the group, I had this guy I used to hike with um, just for training and keeping, you know, keeping the pace. And um, little by little with the group, we had to put more weight in our bags. Um, and I remember I went to 17 kilos, hmm. which, which was is quite quite a lot anyway. By It's, it's a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was my limit, really. I mean, hmm. that day we walked quite a long way. And um, the only reason I managed to finish that walk is because I had a friend with me. I mean, he was with a group and one of the girls stayed with me and actually began talking to me all the way through um, to make sure I would arrive to that finish line. But it was grueling. How, so that was I the did. 17 kilo pack day. How far did you have to yeah. walk then on that day? I think that day we walked something like 30k. Right. So it's a big day with a big pack. Yeah. Yeah, that's difficult. I mean, because 17 kilos, I'd say, is a... Is a 
upper limit of what uh, a female should carry and 20 kilos is the upper limit of what a male should carry as well I think yeah, here we go. so that, that, yeah they're you know they're really heavy packs for a, a long time on your feet so it's not yeah. easy at all especially in the heat as well yes um yeah. but fortunately yeah we were kind of walking mostly at night and we did mm. um I think the last training we did uh, prior to going to Kili was the because really um, Kilimanjaro is the way up it's not very long so I think from memory something like 65 or 70 kilometers across okay. five, five days yeah but it's a lot of a lot of um, so what's it yeah I'm interested to know about Kilimanjaro so what is the yeah. um, the general terrain uh, as, as so you're doing it, that so right. it changes as you go up yeah. Um, but it very quickly it becomes mostly rocks um, okay but the main difficulty of the mountain is its altitude. It's very high. 4,000 um, or 5,000? No, more than that. It, more, oh, it's it? almost 6,000. Oh, I didn't realise yeah. that. Okay. So you begin actually the trek at about 3,000. Yeah. Um, okay. That's the beginning of the trek. Mm. And then we did, um, we had an, a safari, safari on foot first to get a bit acclimatised. And then we had one or two acclimatation um acclimatization not Acclimatization. Sure what the word is. I know what you mean yeah. here we go uh walk and then you go from there and yeah I think it's something like 5,900 meters it's really uh, high right okay so you do have to take your time going up to avoid yeah getting unwell on the way so it's, up it's, it's very slow so the guide you have to go with a guide and and porters so there was yeah, 15 of us from the permits group and, and things as well aren't there for it I think yeah I yeah. think there was about 35 um, staff so basically you know the cook they, they carry everything they're absolutely amazing so you arrive in the evening they've set up camp you know they they wait for you with hot water so that you can wash your feet oh, and have a coffee yeah. I know they do dinner and um in the morning you know it's our fresco breakfast in absolutely gorgeous places and then you go and then they pack up everything and then about midday they actually pass you <laughs> carrying all the stuff so that camp is ready when you finish it's yep. quite incredible that's great yeah. that's really really interesting I didn't realize that's yeah. what happened because I know that a lot of the uh, trips up to Kilimanjaro are guided but I didn't realize there was kind of that that happened alongside it so yeah I thought, um yeah the porterage was maybe carry you know a tent or something or you know the, the heaviest part of your bag but that's that's great because I, I think that my impression is that there is um it's easy to to look on that and sort of especially these organized trips and frown on them and go well it's not proper hiking but what it does it, it opens hiking up to everybody yes. have it and this is i've always said especially with uk um long distance trails there is an abundance of of options for for anybody to hike a, a, a trail in the uk now mm -hmm. if you have time of course and i think time is often the only limiting factor for a lot of people because you know, if you don't want to carry a pack, you can get your bag transferred. Yeah. If you want to have a nice warm bed at night, there's plenty of B&Bs in most places. Mm. And I think that's really, it's really nice to have the option, even if you want to go up, you know, Kilimanjaro, for instance, or do, you know, Everest Base Camp Trek or or something yeah. similar or Machu Picchu. So that's, that's really interesting. So you did the uh, Kilimanjaro Trek, got to the top. Well, no, I didn't. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, go on, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, so... um the, the the way it's set up is uh, you you walk and then you arrive at the last camp and at about six in the evening you eat quite early at about eight you go to bed at 10 and then you mm. wake up at midnight 
to actually go and do the push to the summit so that you okay. arrive for sunrise. Ah. And the previous day, I mean, we had been walking for about 10 hours. Um, so it had been a very long day and I was still um, very overweight. So while I, and every day I had been, you know, one of the last few in camp, which is fine. Um, but when what it meant is that quite early, I uh, couldn't keep up with the pace of the group. Mm. Now, you don't want to slow down your group because it's very, very cold. It's about minus 20. Um, so everybody needs to walk at their own pace. So fortunately, I had uh, the head guide decided to leave one guide with me and to go at my pace. So quite early on, I ended up being just me and this guide um, who was really sweet. Um, but I was slow. And so I kept pushing and pushing, but I began falling asleep while walking. Oh, because of the altitude? Um, so because, because I was so tired, oh. <laughs> mostly. Yeah. So I remember he would, you know, every step, he would just go, Bee! and I would say, whoa. <laughs> and then I would take another step and another step. And so what happened was I was probably about 100 metres or 200 metres from the summit when the head guide came down and said, you're taking too long, you need to turn around. Um, because we still had about six hours at least of going down because you yeah. can't stay at altitude. Um, so he said, you've got to turn around, I'm sorry. And so I never made it to the top. It's a shame. How did he feel after but, when that happened? Well, actually it felt okay because I hadn't been the one giving up. I had been told to turn around. Okay, fair, yeah. Um, and I actually discovered that for me, and I think that's when long distance came into mind for me. I'm not a peak bagger. So going up just for the sake of going up and then going down actually holds not much interest for me, but going mm. from A to B does. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit disappointing, but I had, I felt I had done as much as I could do. And, really, and it was way more than anything I had ever imagined I could be doing anyway. Um, and it was just the whole experience and, and the, the, the length of the day and, and the length of the journey rather than the summit day for me. So, um, but that was good, good, you know, insight that I discovered about what I liked. Okay, that's really interesting. So mm. was the um, Kilimanjaro Trek a charity done at a walk as well? Because you mentioned charity. No. Was... Yeah, no, this one was all, we all had to fund it. Okay. Um, and it was quite expensive. I can't remember, yeah. but I mean, probably not for what it was, but possibly buying the equipment and course, you know, yeah. the clothes and everything was probably yeah. the, just as expensive it's that but, initial investment isn't it when you've not done it before yeah. where it's suddenly you kind of think oh, i've got to get this kit list yeah but what, it was in what, 2008 and yeah. i still wear the clothes and yeah. i still have yeah. my equipment you know um 14 years later so Aye. it was a good investment you must have gone for good quality <laughs> stuff then if it's still lasting since that yeah. was <laughs> good going um so after after you um completed that what uh where did that lead then what was next because so, you must have really, think, really got the bug after that. Because yes, there's, so there's no, no got, way those experience hooked. leap. Yeah, you do, you get hooked after anything like that. It's impossible. Yeah, um, it was there was something quite extraordinary. I had really um, very intense emotional experience. Um, we all had, and interestingly, not at the same point. And I remember, I mean, I experienced a snowstorm in a mountain in Africa. Uh, you know, it's, it's completely. It's bizarre if you think surreal. about it, isn't it? That mountain. Yeah, it's just, just in the middle of, of you know of warm 
you know, African climates yeah. and it's just sort of this cold, you know, yeah. frozen mountain there. Yeah, so, um, and, and, and other experience about, I, I don't know, my, my, the sense, I think it was probably the first time I experienced awe. Um, okay. It, because it is just, it's, it's incredible. It really is. And um, so I was kind of hooked on walking and I thought, yeah, great. Um, so when I came back, I still carried on with the groups of the Wild Woman on Top group for a while. And they decided to create um, a, a charity walk, a bit like Oxfam Trail Walker. So it was okay. also 100K um, all along the, the shore of um, Sydney. So basically you begin at the, um, at the bottom of Sydney, I think at the airport, and then you walk by the beaches all the way to the north for 100K. And so I decided, okay, well, that's my next challenge. I'm gonna do that. So we had um, a team with the girls I knew already. Um, and to be honest, was the, the, the funnest was probably the training walks, um, you yeah. know, that we do by sections and then you do some through the night. And, um, and I had never walked through the night before. And I discovered mm. that I really, really loved that. Was that walking um, through the city at night? Uh, through yeah. on the beaches on the beaches oh that must be yeah. lovely then especially with Sydney yeah. in the backdrop then yeah the only problem is that um each of the beaches there um they're a bit like here actually in this in the South Downs you know you, you've got to um go on top of a cliff then go down to the beach then walk yeah. on the beach then go back up oh, and I see. then carry on and keep doing that up yeah, and down up and down a lot of elevation time. even though it's in a relatively flat place yes. yeah yeah um and when when we did the, the full event, I actually didn't make it to the end um, because I had huge blisters, um, which I never had before. And um, my my husband was part of the support crew who would just meet up at some point. And I remember it was breakfast time. And I think I also discovered at that time that as much as I like walking into the night and through the night, I hate going out of the night into the day. Okay. And my mood plummets um, just before, you know, that time just before dawn when everything is grey. Mm. Um, I really, it really puts me down. And I think we had a pit stop at that point and I had a blister and I had absolutely no energy and motivation. I said, no, I'm quitting. And my husband, bless him, <laughs> we just tried to say, are you sure? Because I know you're not going to be happy with yourself and things. And I say, yeah, I'm sure. And And I quit at that time. And I think it was something like 60 kilometers or something yeah. um that's still a good really good mileage though yeah 100k is so difficult to, to do i've done it afterwards yeah. um so yeah because i was i was quite disappointed actually um with myself and so then what happened is we had after that we had the oxham trail walker in sydney so there's you know i don't know if you know of that but they um they do that kind of everywhere in the world and there's one in Sydney mm. so it's team of four uh, charity walk team of four 100 kilometer to walk in and in, in a time limit so I think in this country it, here I think it's 30 hours okay um, in Australia because the terrain is way less uh, forgiving I think we had 46 hours so it gives you time to do it with some sleep in the middle if you wanted to. Yeah. So yeah. the I mean the whole thing, and that's where I, I think I mentioned that I am. Um, I came across uh, a very unpleasant time at that time. So I decided to put together a team with some of the um, people from Wild Women on Top because okay. these were the people I knew. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
So we created a team, four of us, we began training um, and I really had to put that team together. And then you have to have a kind of goal of how you want to tackle it. Um, some people, you know, their goal is to finish it in a certain time. Some people is to finish all together. Some people is, you know, every team has this goal. And I guess, because it was my first one, I wasn't too aware of that. And so we hadn't discussed it. Oh, so it's like and a collective I, goal for the team rather than the individual. Well, goal. I think it's necessary, yeah, so mm. that you know how you want to tackle that walk. Because we, you yeah. have to begin as a, as a team. You don't have to finish as a team. Okay. Interestingly. So yeah. um, we hadn't discussed that. And a few weeks of training, then um, the other ladies from the team actually told me, we don't think you walk fast enough. We want you mm-hmm. out of the team. Okay. And that, that was have, really harsh. Yeah, that must have been really painful. Yeah, very. Um, yeah. I think it's it's probably where I had my lowest self-esteem ever um, mm. because I thought, well, that's really not fair. And yeah. yeah, it was really hard. And I think more or less at the same time, I had um, I had put my name down to do um, another, a long distance walk in Australia with Wild Woman on stop, uh, on top. In, in the center in the desert, uh, I think it's I can't remember what it's called. It's quite a famous um, something trail where okay. you have to walk with your pack on, um, with a heavy pack on, so about 15, 16 kilos. And I had trained for this, um, and um, at the last minute, the someone from the staff told me, "No, um, I'm not letting you go because I think you're too heavy." And but that would defeat the point of what the group was about to allow people to yeah. increase their fitness. And also, and- and also I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm heavy and overweight, but actually I'm quite fit. Hmm. Um, the, yeah, the two, don't, the two don't correspond. I, I, no. I see so many really good examples of that where, you know, hmm. uh, you know, there's people of a bigger build um, who can walk massive miles. So that yeah. misconception of you've got to be, you know, lean like a racing snake in order to do big miles yeah. isn't true. It doesn't stand up to what people can actually do in real life. Hmm yeah so I was it, it was it was really hard and because all my confidence I had gained to actually achieving stuff I had never achieved before mm. was suddenly was you know I was questioning it so um after I I think after a few weeks I put myself together for this trail walker and I thought well okay you know what I'm gonna find myself another team and there is um possibly I think it already was on Facebook they've got a group and you can say I'm a lone worker looking for a team and so I put an ad and I said you know and this is my walking speed Uh, my only my and at that time I had thought about what I wanted and how I wanted to do it and I said my only aim is to finish it as a team to begin and finish with my team I don't care how long we take Um, you know that's that's what I want how I want to walk it and so I had three people contacting me because you need you need four um, and they all knew each other there was another um, woman so I was in my mid-30s um, there was a, a younger woman and an older guy who was in his 40s I think and another guy who was probably about my age um, so I was living in Sydney and there was only one of them living in Sydney which was one of the guys and the two other lived in Brisbane um, but they all the three of them knew each other and so we began talking and chatting and we agreed that I would have um, a, a walk with a guy who was in Sydney to see, you know, if we thought we could do that together. So we did with that. Yeah, that sounds, work, sounds good. So what they did, the two in Brisbane, uh, they trained together 
And then I trained with a guy from Sydney and um, we had one training walk, the four of us together before the event. So it's a bit mad if you think about it, but anyway, and I remember we went to do our training walk during the night. Um, and there was this extraordinary moment where we came across um, a stream that was much bigger than we thought it would be. And so the only one was to go across um, a bit of rock to do a bit of scrambling yeah. to be able to do that. And uh, me being overweight in all this, I couldn't actually go over that bloody rock. <laughs> and so the guy who I had never met before, this 40-year-old, uh, went on all fours and told me, walk on my back. And I, I was just kind of, I don't know you. I'm really heavy. I've got walking books on it. And you're yeah. telling me to walk on your back. And he said, yes. And I did. And it was just such a bonding and trusting yeah. thing to do. It was amazing. And um, so after that, we had um, we did our trail walker and they they had asked to sleep. I wasn't particularly keen, but they wanted to. So we had agreed to sleep. And Oxfam trail walker is such an amazing experience for um, the companionship you find on the way, the the setup where you've got um, um, support crew that organized, you know, we had spreads of food brought by our support crew. One of the, uh, the mum of the girl was there and she was giving us feet massage. And oh, wow. it was just yeah. the whole thing, the whole experience is incredible. Yeah, they want to get and, you through it, don't they? They want you to complete it. So they're going to do everything yeah. they can to, to allow you to do that. And we each have a role. So I was the um, the one who reminded everybody to um, drink water. Um, and then there was someone, and it's, you've got a really dynamic. So at some point you can feel that someone is going down um, in energy levels or mood. And so someone else comes and begin leading and there's, there's something that happens in the team that is lovely. So everybody looks after each other, but also takes the lead at some point when they are better. And, um, so we made it, we made it to the end, I think with about 20 minutes to spare or something. <laughs> um, but it was brilliant. It was, it was really an extraordinary experience and um, yeah, it certainly boosted my self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah. I have achieved something quite incredible um, with people who are quite incredible. And I made really, I mean, these are my friends since, since then. Yeah. Um, very special friends, you know, yeah. um, so that that was the beginning wow. of my charity things. Mm. And did you um, have you gone on to do more charity walks off that? I have. But have you? So what after have you done that, since? yeah. Well, not long after we moved to the UK, we moved okay. back to the UK, yeah. and um, I thought, oh, I need to begin walking. Um, oh, look at this! There's an Oxfam trail walker in the South Down. I'm just looking um, at it now, actually. I've just gone onto the trail walker website and yeah. noticed this in the South Downs. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I thought, oh, great, I'm going to do this. So, again, I need to put a team together because I don't know anybody here. So I managed to find two young guys from London. Um, and then we couldn't find a fourth person. And so I, crazy thing, I contacted my the lady friend who had done it with us in Australia. And I sent her a text message and I say, hey, um, here's a funny thing. I'm doing the trail walker in England. We are missing a fourth walker. Are you interested? And to my surprise, she said, yeah, absolutely. So she trained in Australia. Oh, wow. We trained in England and she came for the race or for the, for the walk. Um, so I knew her, the two guys didn't. 
um, but they got on really, really well. And it was it was just hilarious again. So um, this one I didn't finish either um, because of injury. So I, I, all I remember is that it was it had been raining kind of a week before all week um, and it was raining on the day and I pulled the muscle um, probably at kind of kilometre 10 okay. and you've got checkpoints regularly and, and yeah. you've got um, St John's ambulance guys and every time I, I would go see them and they would say you know from the first checkpoint they began telling me you're going to enjoy yourself you need to stop and I was just thinking absolutely no way <laughs> so I kept going yeah. ibuprofen and everything and I kept going and I kept going and I kept going and um, I think again it was around kilometer 60 where I noticed that if I stayed with my team we were not making in time right so at that point I said okay guys I'm gonna I'm gonna quit so that you can keep going and finish in time um, which was hard decision yeah but it does take some self-awareness to be able to do that though I think yeah, to not and, kind of think, well, yeah. it's pain, but I'm going to push through at all costs to be able to actually go, you know what, I've got to balance yeah, this and I'm going to, I'm going to stop now because I don't want to cause long-term harm to myself. Yeah, to be honest, I'm, I'm not hugely good at this. And there's mm. a lot of I, I don't think many people are. Myself. I think it's really difficult no. to do. Um, but it, and it was really, for me, it was really, I don't, I'm going to let my team down if I stay with them. Yeah. because then we're not going to make it on time so I let them go but I kept um I kept being part of their support crew so I kept following them all through the night um to be at the support checkpoints and we finished in um Brighton where there's a horse um the, 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 um race thing okay you know field okay. I can't remember yes. what it's called a, a race race course or, yeah I that's know. it a race course I'm not a horse racing so, so we, we finished that was the finish yeah. And so I was waiting behind the finish line and I saw them, you know, arriving and I went to see the officials and I said, this is my team coming. I had to um, pull out. But is that OK if in the last few meters I go join them so that we can all put, go through the finish line together? Um, and they said, yes, of course. And um, so that's what I did. And amazingly, I, I got my medal as well. <laughs> did you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I finished. Um, but again, it was it was great, and I was really um, glad they'd done it. Um, yeah. But I was a bit disappointed with myself. But um, I had to wait a bit for this one. And then my husband always said, "It's incredible. You do this thing, you hurt every time. Because even if you don't injure yourself, I mean, it's you hurt. You know, you walk for a long time nonstop. Yeah. Um, but it takes me about two days to think. When is the next one?" Um, so after that one, I think the other one I did charity-wise, um, I did all around the Isle of Wight in um, in one go. So no, what's, no stopping at all. What's that distance around the Isle of Wight? It's 106k. Okay. Um, and, and that's very I did that on up my and own. down as well. That's a lot of up and down. Yeah, I guess. it's quite up and down. Um, yeah. It's not a team. It's not an Oxfam thing. So it's mm. not it's not a team event. Um, so I did that on my own. Um, and I finished, I think, in, in 20, 25 hours or something. I think you've got 30. Yeah. Um, so I was quite pleased. Um, but again, it's interesting. I've got, I hate that morning, that kind of going through the, the, the 
the day beginning is really hard for me and then I get really grumpy and and so that's when I call my husband and I, say, I want to quit and he, he just gives me the pep talk um say no <laughs> you don't and it's yeah. kind of yes I do it's like no 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 you keep going you're really close. Me up. yeah yeah <laughs> um and he's he's always been really good with that and kept me going and um and I eventually did but I had really problem I couldn't eat anything um and so the the paramedic wouldn't let me off the pit stop she said you've got to eat something before you go right and I had to wait about 20 minutes before I could actually ingest something um and eventually I did and so I finished that one which was um was big achievement not being able to eat just a loss of appetite or was it physically you felt you could eat anything yeah no it's I, it, I think it's uh, because I get so tired and my body's just thinking what the hell um that yeah. just yeah. the, the thought of eating is just kind of oh no thank you um mm. but you have to yeah of course you know. yeah um but yeah so I think after that I did shorter ones um because eventually I got injured in one of my longer walks so I couldn't anymore but yeah I, I just what, what, I really was, what was the injury then charity. that stopped you from doing the longer ones so it's it's feet injury on my last ah. uh, on the Camino. Um, so in between, I think after the Isle of Wight. Yeah. Uh, so came 2013, where I am, um, as I say, I get made redundant, economically redundant. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that. So this is the big big yeah. walk. So what happened there with the redundancy? So um, I had been doing a few walks here and then, um, and I was working in a corporate world. Um, yeah. Where is this back in the city then? Uh, yeah, back in the city. Yeah. And um, so it was 2013. So probably I can't remember exactly what the economic climate was like, but I know that we were having financial trouble. And so they took the decision to um, let me go. And interesting period of my time, I had kind of fell into that industry. I was in the branding um, and design industry as a okay. client facing person. Okay. Was and, this part of an agency then? Or? Yeah. Yeah. And I had, all, I had kind of fallen into that. It's not my, my, um, what I had studied, um, but it's where I begun. And then I stayed and I was, I yeah. was um, what, what did you study? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, political sciences and languages. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very very different to what you studied (laughs) very very different to all this um and I I just I stopped and questioned myself and I said you know what I don't actually want to keep doing this I'm not really liking it that much and I'm at a level now that if I want to progress I really need to have a passion for it and just you know but I had absolutely no clue what I wanted to do nothing and then I saw this document, I saw the movie uh, The Way with Martin Sheen, which is about yes. the Camino. Yeah. And so I got very excited to my husband. I said, oh, um, what would you say if I tell you um, I go walking for six weeks and I leave you on your own with the kids? And, you know, it was kind of a joke. It's and like that big question everybody it. kind of wants to ask, isn't it? Especially with family. Uh, and he thought about it and he turned around and said, and he said, I think it's a great idea. Oh, wow. And I think about two weeks later, I was gone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On the Camino. So two weeks preparation. And I think so. I mean, I might be, I, I might remember that one wrong. Uh, so, tell me more about this. So, 
I want to know more about the Camino. So you, you made redundant. You watched a film. Yeah. Yeah. Albeit it's a relevant film. No, but that's 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 awesome because it's just like that. Uh, for me, it sounds like that fairy tale kind of inspiration. You watch something yeah. and it's inspired you so much that it's given you enough courage to go. Oh, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do what I've just seen yeah. on TV. So, and then you had, you know, uh, not long to prepare. So, did you yeah. did you uh, camp? Did you book place? Did you go and just? No. So, um, how did you plan it? <laughs> Uh, I probably read a few guidebooks and um, so and and after organising, you know, my mum to come for a week, um, my husband's mum to come for a week because I've got three yeah. children, um, and so I went on my own, and I hadn't booked anything apart from the first night, okay, um, because I I had read um, that you didn't need to book, okay. So my plan was to stay in what is called the albergues, which is the accommodation for pilgrims, um which is what we're called. Are they, are they sort of like hostels then in some ways? Uh, they, yeah, they're big dorms usually okay. um, with at least showers, sometimes kitchen. Okay. Um, but it's big communal space. Which, so they're like, yeah, they're, again, so, they're, so they're, they're sort of hostels really, but yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. So okay. it just is like... <laughs> like a cat coming in and a cat coming out. <laughs> all right, it's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it was, he was a bit mad really, because I was still, um, or again, I should say, really, really overweight at that point. Um, and I had packed a bag that was about, I don't know, 12 kilos. Um, and I just went with the confidence of the ignorant, um, thinking, yeah, yeah, I can do this. Um, and so I had that first night, which was great. Uh, it was because it was in a communal place as well. So not an albergue, but a communal thing where everybody cooked together. Okay. Um, it was great. And um, so you leave in the morning. Usually they kick you out about eight o'clock in the morning. So you leave in the morning and then you cross the Pyrenees. That's your first day. Because I did the, the, what is called the Camino Frances or the Via yeah. Francigena. Um, so from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to um, Santiago. And you cross the Pyrenees, which is absolutely stunning. But oh my God, what a first day. <laughs> so basically it goes up for about 25 kilometers and then it goes down for about two. Um, oh, so it's just a day of walking uphill, getting just, a ton of yeah. elevation. Yeah. And I had planned, there is one split, but it's absolutely not in the middle. It's, it's kind of the first third of the walk but mm. I have thought there's no way I can do this in one day so my plan is to go and you know do my third stay there for the day for the night and then finish tomorrow so off I go and um as soon as you begin I felt completely uh, um taken by the community that you've got there you, here is a walk where everybody walks or most almost everybody walks the same way to the same place um, and everybody's got a story for being there, which yeah. I can tell you a bit more about later. But so anyway, that first day, um, very quickly, I began walking very slowly because I'm even now I'm still not good when it's about going up. I just slow down quite a bit. Um, and I eventually arrived at where I had planned to stop for the day. It was 11 in the morning and it was a gorgeous day. And I thought, well, there's nowhere I'm going to stop now. Um, 
so the guy there told me, well, how long did you did it take you to get there? And I can't remember. And I said, you know, um, and he said, uh, oh, I think three hours. And he said, well, you've got at least another six hours then. Oh. I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> so off I went and probably by about three in the afternoon, I'm not joking, everyone who was walking that day had passed me. Right. Because I was so slow. So, which was great because I, it meant I got to meet everyone who was on the way. Because <laughs> you say hello to people. Yeah, of course. Um, so, everybody knew me. I knew everyone. And here I am. And I remember at about, yeah, four o'clock in the afternoon, still not at the highest point in the Pyrenees. It's just, I never thought I couldn't, I would not make it. But my thought was, I'm not going to arrive before dark. Um, so, and then you, you hear these birds and they are, um, what are they called? Do you know these carrion birds um, that you see in comic books where they always wait for people, for other oh, animals to die? Oh, vultures. Vultures. So yes. you've got them in the Pyrenees. So okay. I was creating in my head this story of oh. the vultures are waiting for the pilgrim to die. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I kept going. Um, and I, I remember meeting one guy in particular, um, a Spanish uh, journalist who was writing about the Camino. And he, has, he had passed me way before. Um, and at some point I arrived. So here I am. I've, I've gone up the highest point. I'm now in Spain. I go down and I arrived at there's a, a fork where you can either continue by the road or continue through the forest. And here is that guy there. And I said, oh, hi, you know, I'm quite happy to, have, to meet someone again. And I said, so how are you? And he said, yeah, great. I've been down already. I'm just coming back up to try the other way. <laughs> and I was just thinking, ah, okay. As you so, do. Um, yeah, as you do. And at this point, he tells me, if I may, I would suggest you go by the road because the forest is very, very steep and obviously you are tired. So I said, yeah, thank you for the advice. So here I am on the, on, on the road. Eventually, I arrived, I think it was seven o'clock in the evening. Um, so I had walked almost 12 hours, I think 11 hours. And you arrive in this albergue, uh, you go to reception to register your name and they tell you where to go. Now, the way they fill them in is the first arrived by the ground floor, then first floor, second floor. So me being the last one, I was on the third floor. Of course, there's no, you know, there's yeah, no lift. Yeah. So you go up the stairs. <laughs> Last thing so you I go need, is another bit of extra climbing today. Yeah, <laughs> and then I arrive in this kind of arrangement, which is two bunks um, in a kind of so it's four beds in it, not really in a room, but there's kind of separations. And three of the beds are already taken by Spanish guys, and there's only one bed left, which is at the top. And I put my bag down, and I looked at that bed, and the guy who was underneath just looked at me, got up, and he said. I'm going to go up. You can stay in the lower really back. Nice. Yeah, and I was Aww. thinking, oh, thank God. That's thank lovely. you for that. So um, did that, had my shower, and that's when you begin feeling all the aches of the day. And yeah. God, was I aching. Um, and then you kind of, you've got the mental fatigue that kicks in. So I remember being at dinner with other pilgrims, and I was at a table with a French guy and an English guy. And um, so I'm French, so I speak French. But I remember actually speaking French to the English guy and speaking English to the French guy because my head was completely <laughs> Walk up, you know, when you get out of the table after you've stopped for a while after having done an effort, it's really yeah. painful. 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah. did that. And the miracle was I woke up the following day and I was not in pain at all. Really? Nothing. Wow. Nothing. Um, and so then you just keep going and you keep going and keep going. And it was the most amazing life-changing experience of my life. What was life-changing about it? Was there a particular thing? Yeah, so um, I, I don't know. What was life-changing? I discovered a lot about myself. So I, um, I discovered who I was as a person, not as a wife, not as a mum, you know, as not, an individual. not with any roles, as an individual. Yeah. And because I had been with my husband from um, when we were 19, so all my adult life I had been, you know, something for someone and never stopped to actually think who I am who am I so that was amazing and what was even more amazing is that I quite liked what I found (laughs) so you know um it wasn't a kind of oh my god I'm this kind of person and I hate myself it was actually kind of oh I'm a pretty cool person I'm quite happy with who I am Uh, so that was one big discovery and it was I think it was sorry (laughs) generated by um interaction with others so as I said what happens is even if not everyone walks at the same pace it's quite common that people actually have the same destination especially if you've got the same guidebook because then people kind of plan their day after the the, the book so we all end up even if you 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 will pass each other during the day and then you meet in the evening Um, so you begin by knowing people and one of the things that is lovely is sometimes some people get nicknames um so for example in while I was walking there was a guy who was an Argentinian guy um who everybody called Jesus because he looked like Jesus and he walked barefoot yeah um because he was raising money for charity so everybody knew who Jesus was um even if we had never met him and I got a nickname quite early on um I got called B-Shine um and I asked why and people just go telling me because with your smile and the way you listen to people, you make everybody's life nicer. Oh, so nice. that day. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, this is what I do for people who I don't know mm. and who don't know me. That's so, a pretty special, special name to have, you know. It is. Really, yeah. that's, that's really um, nice. That must have been a real kind of confidence boost to that point. Yeah. So it was kind of, okay, so this is what I do for people. That's that's really nice. And then um I discovered a completely new relationship with my body as well. Um, in the sense that it was the first time I think I got to respect my body and thank my body every day Um, because I was quite amazed at the fact that my you know big chubby legs could carry me that long day after day after day after day Um, and that my you know my bag could carry my pack and um, and I just thought god this little machine who I'm not treating very well is amazing Um, so I got a really different relationship with my body and that included strangely me not I wasn't eating much and I realized and it's still the case today so when I go for long walks um, I actually end up not eating that much and the reason is is because it's the only time I'm in tune with really what my body needs Mm. and actually I don't need that much Mm. um possibly because I've got lots of reserves but you know it's it's not that kind of I'm 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 going to need eat lots because I've done exercise actually I'm so much in tune with my body when I walk for a long time yeah 
that I just eat whatever I know it needs and I never eat junk food, for example. I think that's quite a common thing on trail, actually, is people do tend to under eat what they would typically. Possibly, yeah. yeah I, I mean, this is. one, the Camino is a bit special because it's also you can go quite a leisurely pace um, and you stop. Well, I used to anyway, stop at every cafe yeah. Um, and you know but why wouldn't you though you want to enjoy it and those exactly. are the, the social experiences where you get to sit yeah. and stop and reflect and enjoy the views and enjoy the company that's it so there was these two bits so discovering who I was what are you know the, the the things that people picked up from me by just knowing me sporadically um this new rapport I had in relationship with my body and um I began getting answers, so that's going, to, that's going to sound a bit, um, I don't know, but they, I had read that, so it takes about six weeks, and the first two weeks are about physical pain, the second two weeks are about emotional pain, and the last two weeks are about kind of a, a kind of spiritual discovery. Is that what a lot of people go through, a similar kind of format yes. of, of yeah. change and learning? And so it's it's true. The first two weeks, it's getting used to walking every day. Yeah. Um, the last and the set that that two weeks after is all the emotional baggage that you might carry with you comes out somehow for most people, not for everyone, but for most people, and that becomes a very emotionally raw period. Um, and for me, I had stuff from my past. Um, which I had either forgotten or not dealt with. I mean, for example, I had um, my older brother died when I was nine and he was 16 and I never really did mourn. Um, but I did then and, you know, stuff suddenly came back, but not, and it was a bit overwhelming, but it gave me that, that pace of walking day after day after day. Um, you don't get stuck in things. Yeah. You actually yeah. move with it. Mm. And so the things come up and then get resolved as you as you move in one way or another I also got answers to questions I didn't know I had um, and I can't remember what specifically now but things that just suddenly made sense and I thought well yeah actually I had been struggling with that and I hadn't realized I had and so suddenly my life become began making sense at so many different levels and I really, really enjoy the companionship you find in the Camino um, because, as I said, so everybody more or less walk. Um, the, mo most people walk the same way. Some people do it in reverse, but not that many. Um, and there is um, a rawness to everyone who is there because at some point everybody gets to that stage where stuff come up. Do people um, share that with each other in that? Yeah. I mean, the, the first... Well. The second day I walk, I remember very vividly, I had met this um, Australian couple and I walked for a bit with the guy who told me his life story from A to Z in that day, someone I had never met. That's very profound um, for somebody you've never met to go into that level yeah. of detail. But it works because you've never met them, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, and that's that's going to be, you know, what has also created then my, my second um, profession but I had that sense of belonging for the first time I think I belonged to a community there is no judgment of who you are what you look like how far you walk how fast you walk what you carry um, everybody's in there 
for their own reasons. But strangely, I have I don't think I've ever met anyone who was doing it for a religious region, even though originally it's a religious pilgrimage. Yes. But you know, you've got people like me who've lost their jobs, don't know what to do, so looking for directions. You've got yeah. people who have lost someone, you've got people who've just divorced, you've got people um, there, there was someone who had just recovered from uh, cancer or people who have just been diagnosed with cancer. So it's people looking for something, looking for an answer. And we're all kind of companions on that journey to each other and sharing bits and pieces. And it's beautiful. And for me, there was also, I had never lived in community before, ever. And I thought it was amazing. <laughs> the best time of my life in these albergues. Um, and sometimes you cook together and sometimes you don't. And you don't, even though I've, I've, I've been on my own, but you actually create this kind of families. Um, mm. But you don't have to walk either. There's no, for me, it was a place where I could be totally honest with people. So yeah. if someone comes to you begin talking, I had no problem actually turning around and say really sorry today I don't want to walk I want to walk on my own don't want to talk and that was accepted and, I, and okay and it's accepted and it's yeah. fine and you just keep going and, yeah. and do so the, and the, the possibly then the final thing that happened to me is I had been suffering from depression for about 20 years on and off um, and I came back and I thought that's it it's gone and I think it's because I had resolved all these things as they went. Um, and, and it was very profound. And, and, and I had done something quite incredible. I mean, I remember when I arrived. Um, so you arrive in Santiago and you're supposed to go to the cathedral. And as soon as I saw the cathedral spire, my instinct was to turn around and go back because I didn't want to stop. Um, so <laughs> so it, it was really emotional. And I got a tattoo. Um, off the uh, oh, of the, the walk on my oh, wrist, okay. yeah, the shell, yeah, yeah. which was completely unplanned, um, yeah. completely unexpected. I'm yeah. not, you know, you look at me, and especially at that time, you know, overweight, <laughs> middle-aged woman, you know, middle class is like not yeah. what you expect. And I, I remember going to that um, tattoo shop with a friend. Still not 100% decided when you arrive in that parlor and the two guys, there was a guy and a girl and they were tattooed, you know, from head to toe. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm thinking of having a sale. You know, do you have, he shows me design and I found one and said, how much is it in my head thinking it's going to be too expensive. So that's going to be it. <laughs> and I think he said something like 60 euros. And I thought, oh, let's do this. Why not? Yeah. Um, I bet it's and, not a tattoo you regret though. No. No. Because and it's, it's it, so I, I thought very carefully of where to put it. And it's on my wrist, on the inside of my wrist. Mm. Um, and it's the idea is that so that I can see it, um, and it's not too obvious, um, yeah. you know. Because I thought I don't I don't know how acceptable it is, but it's um, yeah, it's 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 a story, mm. and I, and I, mm. and, I, and I love having it. Um, That's incredible. So, yeah, so then I came back and I had, you know, lost quite a bit of weight and I had my tattoo and, um, and I thought, okay, why? I began thinking, how is it that this walk helped me so much from my mental health? And so I began researching okay. and I found all this 
um, scientific evidence of what walking does, you know, from a, a very chemically chemical point of view, neurons in, in, in your brain, um, how it changes your physiology. Um, and then I looked at what nature does um, and I got all this scientific evidence as well. So all that was kind of meta research. So I didn't do any research myself. It was just looking for stuff. Um, and then I thought, well, that makes sense. And that's combined with everything that Beeshine meant and how I was obviously good at making people feel good. I thought it just makes sense. This is, I, I want to retrain as the psychotherapist. Yeah. But I want to do it only while walking outside. Wow. And so that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's that's that bit is really interesting to me. So um, a bit of a disclosure. My other half is actually a therapist anyway. Mm-hmm. So that that bit particularly interested me. So you retrained as a psychotherapist. So how did you yeah. then so this I mean that's a pretty big career change for starters. It is, yeah. And it's a big so, commitment um, as well. So what did that what was uh, yeah, how how did what was the training you had to do? What was the commitment so you had to put into that? I um so I chose to do that exclusively. So I wasn't working at the same time like most people do. Um mostly because and again a big thank you to my husband who basically was able to provide not only for the family but also for actually my training because it's an yeah. extensive training yeah um yeah and those trainings and are not cheap as well are they they're, no they're not they do cost <laughs> <laughs> and um so I signed up for this three-year training um next to where I was which was the, the setup it was was um once a month one weekend a month we had what is called contact hours so we had basically lessons for a weekend and then during the months you do your own um studying based on you know what the teacher has given you and then you write essays which is horrible when you've lost their habit and and then you meet again and you do that and um because I had chosen strangely well maybe strangely at the end of the first year um I was also a qualified hypnotherapist because we we learned hypnotherapy alongside counseling oh I see okay which was interesting yeah um but then I was more interested in the in the proper counseling psychotherapy so I continued for two years and got um a diploma in counseling skill or in counseling and then I decided to further that um even more and I got another year which is a so that I could get a professional diploma in psychotherapeutic counseling um so with the diploma in counseling psycho psychotherapy counseling excuse me yeah probably is not the right yeah. acronym, so, um is that a particular specific one tailored to doing this in an outdoor setting or is that no. something that you've it, it kind of is that a, a, a something you've injected upon your own you know your business yeah. to make it work for you so my my core training is um what you expect any counsellor or psychotherapist to do in a room so yes. um, there was no element of being outdoors okay but because I knew that's what I wanted to do um, yeah. I again I began kind of researching it as well and I found they they do exist and there's um they, there's some specific training for outdoors counsellors hmm. and or I mean it's what is interesting is that it's not very well defined and everybody kind of makes it your own so Mm. there's some people who call themselves walk and talk therapists some people who call themselves ecotherapists some people who call themselves um, nature therapy and it's it's not hugely well defined any all 
the difference between all these bits is how you use nature yeah. basically okay how so, do you you then use nature so for what you do i actually so i i went for um a very flexible model okay which initially was uh i thought i'm going to do this for people who've got depression because drawing from my own experience i knew and i remembered very well my you know my own counselor then telling me you need to go out and move but the last thing i wanted to do was to get out of my house yeah so i didn't so my initial idea was what I could do is actually go physically to people's door and physically take them out for half an okay. hour. Yeah. As it turned out, I never actually got to do this, but that was originally where it came from. So I was, I, I did this training specifically. So I'm trained to work outside. And I also did uh, parallel to that um, a walk leader for low, uh, lowland walk oh, the leader lowlands wars. with mountain yeah. leader, mountain leader yeah. association yeah yeah whatever yeah. it's called it's changed names and past yeah so i did that yeah um just because i wanted to be safe in terms of leading of other course. people basically yeah. um yeah so i feel like I, I had covered kind of my basis and then yeah, that's an insurance thing as well isn't it you need to to get yeah. the proper insurance you need to prove that you're sort of qualified to do that you know, yeah. the walking thing properly yes yeah. um and it's so as i said then I, I chose to be very flexible so basically i adapt my style to my client so i've got clients who um almost don't notice the environment um so we walk in nature um but they they don't engage with nature now they still get the benefits that you get from being outside um you know from walking which is a bit of an exercise or from being in ancient forest which yeah. is all the thing about forest bathing so they still benefit from all this but they don't engage and that's fine uh, it still has but they must be aware of the benefits of being out in nature in the first place to have chosen you as a therapist yeah well most of them the ones who don't engage with nature, they chose that because it's got a huge advantage is that we walk side by side. So there is no uh, eye contact. Okay, interesting. Which is yeah. Um, yeah. a huge benefit for people. I mean, being in a room and I've been there uh, as both a client and a counsellor, yeah. you're faced with someone in usually quite a small room. Mm -hmm. It's almost aggressive. It can be extremely embarrassing. Um, and there's things like silence, which are actually quite potent in therapy. But when you're in a room, what I noticed is that clearly, because while I was doing my training, I had to do some um, voluntary hours. So I did work in a room for yeah. about two years. Um, but what I found is that when there is silence, instead of actually letting the silence do its thing, people tend to just blurb things out because it's very uncomfortable. If you're outdoors and walking and you're not talking, it's actually fine because there's lots of other birds, sounds, there's things to distract you. Um, and I, I came to, I mean, with some clients, I began then talking about the birds and then thinking, oh my God, am I actually, is that therapeutic? What am I doing? But you know what it is? Because it it teaches people to be in the moment. Yeah. Um, so it has the therapeutic aspect. So with this, so these people who don't particularly engage with nature, they come mostly because they know they're not going to have to be faced with someone or there's not, they don't feel enclosed. So for most of them, it feels safer. This idea that if I, if I wanted to, I could leave without having to get up, open a door and everything. Yeah. Um, 
which nobody ever did, but mm. it's that, you know, that construct intellectually that they, they've put. So that's a huge attraction for people. Um, the, the, and it's, it completely um, stops that idea that I'm an expert and an authority and I know better because I'm actually walking side by side yeah. going the same way i'm, a, yeah, I'm a, on a level with I'm them, a, I guess. I'm a, yeah, yeah i'm a traveling companion yes and guide but i'm at the same level and that reflects my view of one human nature and then my view of, of therapy which is that i'm not expert in other people's life i'm expert yeah. in skills in making sense helping them make sense of their lives but i'm not That's expert in their lives hmm. um so for me everything is tied together and also i'm actually i feel a better person myself when I'm outside and because I'm more in tune with myself I'm therefore a better therapist um, so I, because I benefit from all these benefits as well and then at the other end of the of the spectrums I've got clients who are very engaged with nature and that's why they chose and with them strangely we might not walk as much but we engage so I've got clients with whom I also do kind of sensory exploration so we go and we you know we we um to help them understand which of their senses they trust to tell reality for them. You know, we touch trees with um, eyes closed, we smell things, um, we listen, and then they can they get in tune with their bodily sensation and have a complete understanding of how they work and their emotions through the whole body experience because it's very experiential. Um, and yeah, so I've got, I mean, today I've done a session where we probably haven't walked much. Um, we looked at the sunset, um, we did some breathing exercise, um, and then we went and smelled stuff um, and played with the mud. And, you know, and it's, but it's all therapeutic and it's all allegories. It's just another, another way to work with it. So it become, can become quite primal then for some people to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really and then there's lots of things that you can do when you've got to let go of stuff. You know, you can use streams, you can use river, you can throw rocks, you can, you can be physically. Yeah. You, and I think for me that's quite important is using your whole body. So it's not just a talking therapy. Yeah, it's an embodied therapy, and we sometimes yeah. we use words, sometimes we don't. Um, but we use so, nature. So as a therapist, it just gives you just an abundance of tools that you can use to it help does. people with different tactics. That's, that's really interesting because I mean I have seen um, things like uh, forest bathing, for instance, which I know isn't mm -hmm. isn't a, a psychotherapy as such, but it is a, a form of you know therapy. And, and uh, but I wasn't quite aware that there was such a thing as walking therapy. So mm. I thought that was fascinating. <clears throat> so um, if you don't mind me asking, that has, has it yeah. been successful for you as a business? Yeah, so I began in earnest um, probably 2018, I okay. think. Um, and I began with, I think, two clients yeah. um, that didn't last for very long. Um, today, I've got an average um, about eight clients a week. Um, and we work together anything between six weeks and 30 weeks and going. Um, yeah. Wow. So yeah, yeah, that 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 definitely is a is a, is a full calendar, isn't it? So along with you know having to yeah. do you know write up notes and admins and things like that. So that's that's yeah. really interesting. Um, and how so so if you're um, last couple of questions from me, but if you're doing this therapy with clients, how do you 
this might sound like a stupid question, but I'll, I'll expand it. How do you keep it confidential? So for instance, I know yeah. there's plenty of places where I will go outside walking with my family, uh, whether the nature of reserves or national parks, and there are people around. How do yeah. you manage that? Do you have to find somewhere that's truly kind of remote away from the crowds or does it just not, is it a non-issue when you're walking and talking to people? So I think it is an issue in a very important one because of this confidentiality is one of the big thing in counselling, but it's, um, it's a shared responsibility. So the difference being between in a room where the client doesn't have to bear any responsibility for it. He knows that because it's enclosed, it's going to be, um, it is going to be confidential. Yes. There, I'm actually including the client. So they've got to make a decision on how they want to keep it confidential. And basically, I, I said, to you know, there's kind of three options. When we meet, first, I tend to choose places where there aren't that many people. Yeah. And um, yeah. I always make sure as much as I can that we're walking somewhere where the client is unlikely to meet people they know or that I'm unlikely to pe meet people I know um, that has happened before <laughs> where people will show me and then begin going into a conversation um, so I still try to manage that which has worked pretty well and then it's a case of okay when we meet people you can stop talking you can keep talking or you can keep talking and change subject but the idea is I actually empower the say what would work for you can you tell me though, because I've had once a client who kept changing subject and I was very worried about the mental state of my client, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and actually that's just, it was just their way to deal with confidentiality. Gotcha. Um, and that's how, so it's interesting, actually, I, I was quite worried initially for that mm. reason, but it's interesting because it comes um, a co-responsibility and most of the clients end up saying, yeah, I'm fine. I don't care if people hear me. Yeah. Um, but it empowers them. It's also that they've got the choice and they've got the choice to stop talking. Of course. Yeah, of course. And as you said, the choice to kind of, you know, to, to not feel like they're enclosed in a room and have, yeah. to, you know, they can step away if they need to, I guess, which is yeah. nice. It sounds super interesting. So uh, yeah, I, I've, 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 I've really, your stories have been really fascinating. It's, it's beautiful <laughs> as well. Like it's such a, I'm so glad I spoke to you today because it's such a nice yeah, story cool. of sort of self-discovery and it, you've, yeah. laid, you've laid it out so so brilliantly and gone in so much detail that I've had, hardly had to ask any questions as well. So. <laughs> the perfect podcast guest, it's been awesome. Oh. Um, so um, if uh, people wanted to find out more about you and what you do in your yeah. therapy, whereabouts can they, can they find you? So they can find me um, either on Facebook, but I, I've got a page, but I'm not hugely active, I have to say, but it's under Blue Cloud Walking. Okay. Um, but also, uh, mostly they can find me on the counselling directory website um, oh, yes. under my yes. name, which is B Cortade, so B-E and then C-O-R-T-A-D-E. Um, I'm based in Surrey, so obviously well, I, I can travel, but um, I try to keep it to an area where it doesn't take me more than half an hour or something to travel, yeah. but that still covers quite a big area. Yeah. Is that South um, Downs area of Surrey? or just uh, North Downs. 
North Downs. North, okay. North yeah. Downs. So around Guildford. So yes. for example, I work in a place called New, in, in the Surrey Hills, but I also work uh, in Books Hill. I walk near Reading. Um, yeah. So I can find various places. So I guess the counselling directory is probably the best place to find me because unfortunately, yes, I'm not hugely active on my Facebook um, page, but I will answer any messages or anything. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, All right. So um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for uh, sharing the story with me. Um, I can thank see you. your other cat in the background on just on, yes. the, uh, on the ledge there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, really nice to speak to you. And thank you again. And I have no doubt at all that this, uh, this episode will be of a great deal of interest to people who just want to hear stories from, you know, familiar stories, real stories, and that you are yours truly yeah. is one of those. So it's lovely, lovely to, that you kind of shared it with us today. no problem thank you all right thank you so much be lovely to speak to you thanks you too thank you take care Bye. bye 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 so i really hope you enjoyed the podcast uh i really really hope you enjoyed the episode let me know what you think by uh going on to uh, Spotify and you can write in the comments at the bottom there's a little section and if you log on you can actually write on uh, the bottom of the podcast now so I add that with each episode um, or you can just go on uh, Facebook uh, search for Distance Hiker Instagram search for Distance Hiker distancehiker.com Matthew at Distance Hiker tell me what you think I'd love to hear more from you uh, and just get some feedback on the podcast and let me know if you're enjoying it um, and maybe if you are somebody who would like to be interviewed on the podcast uh, also do not be afraid to drop me a message I'm always looking for new people to have on the show um, or if you can recommend anybody again drop me a message I'd love to have some recommendations about who you'd like me to speak to so that concludes this week's episode with the um, next week on episode number 13 I have got Wayne Mullane on who is a author um, he wrote a book called Adventure Days about his uh, fear of uh, hike, uh, his fear of heights and his experience in essentially starting to conquer that. So I read his book um, start to finish, really enjoyed it. Uh, got him on the show where we spoke about his book and his, uh, his interest in hiking. So that'll be next week's episode. But anyway, that concludes this week's episode. Thank you again for listening and have a lovely day, whatever you're doing. Bye.